All right. So last week, Pastor Matt, uh, if, you, if you weren't here for it or if you don't remember, uh, you want to recap, go back and listen to it again. Uh, but last week, Pastor Matt did a great job of going through chapter 8 for us in 1 Corinthians as he presented this, this topic that the church was struggling with when it came to their freedom and, and this, this uh, knowledge that they were saying they had about uh, the significance of eating meat that was sacrificed to idols and, and this whole mess of like, should we do it? Can we do it? Why can't we do it? And all of this. And Paul you know, presents in that chapter, and Pastor Matt showed us and, and walked us through that, that basically it comes down to this. Paul was saying, listen, we have freedoms in our Christianity. We have liberty in Christ that frees us from all of this stuff that you're struggling with. And, and basically, here's the thing. The, the discussion has nothing really to do about what our freedoms are. It came down to this. Paul basically says this. Listen, it, you can debate and argue what your freedom is, or we come at it from this point of view. And Paul says, this is where I come from at, come at with it. I'm not going to do anything. Even if I have the freedom to do it, even if I have the right to do it, Paul's like, I don't want to do anything that's going to cause one of my brothers and sisters in Christ to stumble. And Paul's like, I'm not going to stand on my freedom as much as I'm going to stand on my concern and my love for my other brothers and sisters in Christ because I don't want to do anything that's going to make them struggle or to make them flounder in their faith or to to make their conscience, as Pastor Matt talked about, uh, for them to sin in breaking their own conscience and making themselves weak in their conscience. That's that's basically what Paul was saying. And he ends chapter 8 by saying, if what I eat causes someone someone to fall, I will never eat meat again. This is important because Paul is not done talking about this. When he enters into chapter 9, he's still following the same train of thought. Uh, just an encouragement to any of us that might struggle with reading the Bible. Uh, I know there were times when I you know, was younger and I would read, and even sometimes when I read the Bible now, uh, you know, the chapters and verses are great. They're awesome because you can look stuff up quickly. But the problem is that sometimes that causes us to break thought. Like we think, oh, now it's a new chapter, and we break thought, and we forget that there was no such thing as chapter and verse when Paul originally wrote this. It was one continual thought that Paul was going with. So sometimes when we break it up, it gets kind of choppy, uh, especially if you read the Bible and you read just chapter 8, and then you don't read it until the next day, and then you start with chapter 9. You, you kind of forget that he's, tra- he's going with this train of thought all the way through both of these chapters. So I want us to understand that as we enter into chapter 9. Paul's not starting with a new idea. He's continuing his thought of what he just laid down in chapter 8. And in fact, he's going to take what he said in chapter 8, and he's going to raise it up a bar. Actually, he's going to raise it a lot. He's going to listen, you think this is difficult that I'm talking about? Just wait until I'm what I'm about to say. Because again, Paul starts talking about something very tricky. Um, and again, that's our rights. Okay? Um, so as we start this, here's how we're going to walk through this chapter. We're going to take it a section at a time. I'm going to read the section. We're going to talk about it a little bit. Then we'll move on to the next section, right? So we can kind of follow Paul's train of thoughts through this, okay? And we're going to go through the whole chapter, and we'll get the entirety of this. I'm going to do my best to go through the first part of it quickly, okay? Uh, I was joking with Pastor Matt. I thought I was going to get the sermon done a lot faster, uh, first service. It didn't really happen. Um, so we'll see how I do this one, um, so here's, here's kind of how I view this. You know, if, if service starts going too late, once you kind of get into that lunch hour, let's just keep going because let's just go 
past the lunch rush, right? And then we can leave. See, if I let you out in the middle, it's annoying. That's my philosophy. So if I get close to noon, we're just going for it, right? 1230. We good? Come on, people. You all slept in longer. You should have more energy. (laughs) People online are like, I'll just shut you off. (laughs) So Paul's doing two things. Uh, when he starts out in, in, in the beginning of this, he, he's going to establish his authority. Remember, it's the same train of thought, but Paul kind of takes this break in the middle because he's going to establish his authority. And, and this is important for two things. First, he's establishing his authority, why he has the ability to say what he just said, right? He just made this very strong declarative statement about forfeit your freedom Like your freedom that you have in Christ, be willing to forfeit that freedom for the sake of another, right? And there were probably some people that were like, yeah, I don't know if I like that or if I agree with that. Paul's like, listen, I'm going to establish my authority on why I have the ability to say what I just said. The second thing he's doing is Paul's establishing his authority to say what he's about to say. That's why he takes this break. He's like, listen, you got to understand who I am and the position that I have. That's why I have the ability to say what I just said and what I'm about to say. And that's what we see here uh, in the beginning of this. So let's jump into this in chapter 9. So hopefully you have your Bibles uh, on your phone. Have your Bible. If not, there's a Bible um, because I'm not putting anything on the screen, just so you know, when it comes to any of this. So if you want to follow along, you're going to need a Bible in front of you. So chapter 9, verse 1, Paul says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen, the, seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? All right, so let's process, because this is, this is important, because Paul's leading us up to his main point, which comes to the end of the chapter. So realize, everything in this is Paul is building up to make this very important point that we're going to get to at the end of the chapter, towards the end of the chapter. But Paul is, is creating the foundation here of his authority, and, and he, again, he's finding himself defending his position as an apostle. You know, uh, we've said it before, but hopefully we remember, all of us in the church, all these years removed, centuries removed, we look back and we don't question Paul and and his authority as as an apostle. I mean, the guy wrote the majority of the New Testament. We do not question Paul when it comes to his position and calling of God. But we have to understand that there are people in the church, for some reason, even in Corinth, that were questioning Paul's position as an apostle. And again, he finds himself defending his position. He's, he's declaring his authority. So what he's doing here is, because it's kind of like, why is he asking these questions out of nowhere? But the questions have very significant meaning. Because Paul's saying, am I not free? And he's like, am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen the Lord Jesus? So what he's doing is he's, he's showing how he meets the qualifications of an apostle. And here's the qualifications. To be considered an apostle... And realize this, there were more than just the 12 apostles, right? That's the main ones. But anybody that met these three would be considered an apostle. Actually, if you read the New Testament, especially the, um, 
last chapter of Romans, there's actually other people that are listed in Romans that are given the title of apostle that were not one of the original 12 that followed Jesus, right? These were people that had been part of the ministry and they met the qualifications of being called an apostle. We just have the main ones that we focus on. So what Paul is saying here, he's like, listen, I meet the qualifications. Here's the first qualification. I've seen Jesus, Not just I've seen Jesus, I've seen the risen Jesus. He's like, I've laid eyes on Jesus, the risen, glorified Christ. Qualification number one, I've seen him. Qualification number two is Paul says, listen, he's like, are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Qualification number two of being considered apostle is you had to have fruit of ministry showing that the power of God was actually being used through you in your ministry. Basically, the apostles were people that God flowed through through signs and wonders. Like miraculous things would happen through them. This is why when you read Acts, you hear things about people being healed from sicknesses and and even people being risen from the dead and just amazing things that were happening. You know, the Bible talks about people like God was working so much through the apostles like Peter that that people would take handkerchiefs, pieces of cloth that that he would touch and bless, and they would lay it on people and healing would happen. So signs and wonders were following these people. and, And Paul's like, listen, You can look at my ministry and see that I meet qualification number two, that the power of God flows through me and he's used me. All right, so I've seen Jesus and my work, the ministry that I have shows that I'm an apostle. The third thing Paul says is his defense for his apostleship is like, listen, even if nobody else wants to believe that I'm apostle, even if the rest of the world wants to deny it, he's like, listen, believers in Corinth, If anybody knows that I'm an apostle, you guys do. Because your very existence, you're the seal of my apostleship. The proof, he's like, the fact that you exist proves that I've been called by God. Like, the very existence of this church and the way God is using you and the way God has used you is proof of the ministry that God has worked through my life in you. So he's basically, again, remember what he's doing here is he's laying the foundation again of his authority because he's about to say some things that are going to be very challenging. Not just for them, but it should be for us as well. And again, I want us to be prepared for that. Okay, so he's laying that authority on why he has the right to say this. And he goes on and he says, before we go to the next section, he says, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. So Paul is basically, uh, he's, he's uh, uh, challenging an actual, he's, he's making a defense against actual people coming against him because the terms that Paul uses are actually legal terms. Right? If you look at the original language, he's using legal terms. When Paul uses, this is my defense, he's using a word that actually talks like a person that stands up in court and has to give their, uh, their defense. That's the word he's using is, I am actually standing here giving my defense of my authority as an apostle. And he goes on, that word he uses for those that are judging me or sitting in judgment on me, that word judgment, again, is a legal term. It's a term basically saying people had already uh, basically stamped Paul as guilty. He's like, so Paul's saying, I am actually giving my defense against those of you that think you have made your conclusion about who I am and the calling that I have. He's like, this is my defense. I've seen the Lord. God has worked through my ministry. 
and the fact that you exist prove that I am apostle of Jesus Christ. This is my defense. And then he starts going into the point that he's going to start making here, moving up. So, so here's what's happening. Paul has addressed this issue with eating meat. Okay? And, and what that is, is, you know, in my thinking, uh, this is how I would interpret that. If I was kind of thinking selfishly, or, or I like to argue, I like to debate things. So this is the first thing that walked into my head. Like, if I'm reading this letter, and I'm already questioning Paul, or I don't agree with Paul, or I don't like Paul, or I'm doubting Paul, or if I just think Paul's not right, um, the first thing that walked into my head, if Paul makes this statement of, hey, listen, if eating meat causes someone to stumble, I just won't eat meat. The first thing that popped in my head is, yeah, Paul, sound, listen to you. You're, you're, you're talking like you're all spiritual, Paul. Like, nobody can prove that. You can't prove that. You're not here. Like, you, you, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, Paul, you're probably writing this letter while you're chewing on a nice, big, fat, juicy steak from the temple. You know? Like, how do I know? You're probably just, you're just talking. That's what goes through my head, right? It's like, Paul, you can't prove this. You're making this declarative statement, Paul, that you can't prove because you're not here. That was, kind of goes through my head. So here's what Paul does that's very interesting. Paul starts addressing a right that he has personally as an apostle that the church in Corinth has firsthand knowledge of to prove the point that he's going to make at the end of the chapter. So here's why I'm saying this. We're going to process through what Paul talks about here, and we're going to talk about some of the things that go along with it. But I don't want us to get hung up on it, right? Because Paul's using this illustration. He's using this example. He's saying, listen, let me talk about a right that I have, right? A right that I have that you guys can't argue against. Because I'm making a more significant point using this as my example. So that's what he's doing. So we're going to process through this, but don't get hung up right on this. Because he's going to make this very important point at the end. Okay? So he starts by doing it. He says, he makes some, he again, asks a couple interesting questions. He asks this, he's like, don't I have the right to eat and drink? Like, don't I have the right to do that? Don't I have the right to have a believing wife to come with me on my ministry? Don't I have the right to do that? He's laying the groundwork here of what he's about to talk about. And here's what Paul's doing. When Paul says, don't I have the right or the freedom to eat and drink, you know, whatever I want, he's not talking again back to chapter 8. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about meat sacrificed to idols again. What he's talking about is his ability to financially provide for himself and to do whatever he wants with the resources that God gives him. All right? Paul's basically saying, for some, see, here's the thing. We don't know what was being said in the church. I don't know. Nothing is said in here of what was happening. But obviously, something was, something was going on where people were being judgmental towards Paul in maybe the way he was living his life, especially when it comes to finances, right? And that's not because he was doing wrong. I think people just like, they were like nitpicking what Paul did. And Paul's like, listen, don't I have the right to, to eat and drink just like you? I mean, you have the right, if you want to go out to eat, don't you have the right to go out to eat? I mean, that's what Paul's saying. Like, don't I have the right to do that? You know, if I want to spoil myself and have a steak one night that's not sacrificed to idols, don't I have the right to do that? You know, for some reason, it seemed like maybe people were trying to say there was a control factor to what Paul did. The other thing when he says, don't I have a right to have a believing wife, what he's saying here, again, he's not talking about being married. See, here's the thing. Paul wasn't married uh, at this time, but what he's saying is, listen, He's like, if God ever calls me to get married again, 
You know, if God ever says, Paul, here's a woman for you, he's saying, don't I have the right to expect enough financial resources for my wife to come with me on my missionary journeys and both of us being supported in the work that we're doing? That's what he's saying. He's like, don't I have the right to expect to get enough financial resources that I can bring my wife with me and she can minister with me and she can travel with me? Because he's like, listen, that's what the other apostles are doing. He's like, Cephas, Peter had a wife. Peter's wife gets to go with him. And so he's laying the groundwork here of his right as being supported by the church in being an apostle for Jesus Christ. And that's what he's going to talk about is his right to be supported by the church to do the ministry, to do the work that God had called him to do. And he's kind of laying that groundwork here about, you know, don't I have the right to these things? So that's where Paul then starts addressing his right. Now, again, we're going to process through this because Paul presents it. But again, I don't want us to get hung up on everything here, what we're going to talk about, because this is just leading us to a more significant point. But let's look at verse 7. Because he starts going through and and establishing this right that he has. Paul says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of its milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about the oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do it so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But... We did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So there's a second section we're going to process through. So what Paul is doing here is he's establishing his right. Okay, he's, he's defending this right that he has as an apostle because, again, he's setting the stage to make a much more important declaration here in just a moment. So he does this in three ways, by addressing his right. This is the right that he's, he's presenting. The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So basically what he's saying is this. If a person is called to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, back then it would be an apostle. Why this pertains to us is this would be a person that's called into ministry. This would be a person that's called into full-time ministry to say, or into ministry at all, that says this is the way that we have been called to make our living receiving from the gospel. Pastor Matt and I were joking actually about this before the service because I was telling him, I was like, you know, I I love the fact that I got this sermon because it it just, (laughs) and I say that, that's sarcasm, um, because it just kind of seems self-serving to be up here and be like, pay me. Right? That's, I mean, that's kind of how it comes across at times. This is like, hey, a pastor, pay us. Um, but it's important for us to process this for a moment. What Paul is saying here is he defends it in three ways, or, or four ways. Uh, what Paul does, he starts with the human point of view. He's like, listen, we get this. Y'all get this. A soldier doesn't go out there and pay for himself to go protect and fight. They're paid to go do that. 
He's like a farmer, a person that runs a vineyard. They don't do that not expecting to receive from what they're doing. They do the work, and they're supported by that work. When there's a harvest, they receive because of that harvest. Shepherds the same way. He's using these three different natural pieces of life to say, listen, you do the work, you receive your reward from that work. You receive your income from that work. That's the way it works. We all understand that. That's what we do. Then he goes to the next step and he, and he uses the Old Testament point of view. He uses the law. He says, and it's just like the law of Moses. He says, in the law of Moses, it says that don't muzzle an ox when it's, you know, preparing, threshing the grain. So basically what this would do is as the ox is hooked up and it's pulling and it's crushing the grain and they're doing this work, God's basically saying, don't put a muzzle on the ox and keep them from receiving a reward from the work that they're doing. Right? Don't do that. He's like, that's their reward. That's their, that's what they give from. That's their portion of this thing. And then he goes on. And he talks about religious practices. This is the third way. Paul's supporting his right. He's like, we get this. He's basically telling them, you guys get this. People that do a job receive from that. People that do the work, they receive from that. The Old Testament, God says, let the ox do this. But then he says, Old Testament, he says, we get this, people that serve at the temple, priests that serve at the temple, they receive their material needs through the offerings given at the temple. Those that serve at the altar receive their material needs from the altar. He's like, we understand this and we get this. And he's laying this foundation just so we're all on the same page and we understand this, how significant this is. If you look back at the Old Testament, and when God, you have the 12 tribes of Israel, and when they are going in to take possession of the land. So this is something that God has been doing from the very beginning. When the Israelites were going in to take possession of the land, all 12 tribes, God, if you read Joshua, okay, this tribe, this is your land allotment. This is your land. This tribe, this is your section of land. This tribe, this is all 11 received a section of land except for one. And the one that didn't was the Levites. Because the Levites were the chosen tribe to serve the people at the tabernacle and to serve the people at the temple. They weren't given an inheritance. They weren't given a piece of land to say, this is your inheritance. What they were given was, you're going to serve the people, and you're going to serve me at my temple, and your inheritance is going to come from their giving. So as the people would give unto God at the temple, as the people would give their sacrifices, as the people would give their offerings, as the people would give these things, the Levites then, that's where they would receive their income was from what came from the other people. So Paul's using all of this to say, do you not see that from the beginning of all of this, this is how God did this. Those that were called to minister before me and to serve my people spiritually, they are given the right to be taken care of by the people in which they serve. But then he ends it with his last defense, and he uses Jesus himself. When Paul says in verse 14, the Lord, referring to Christ, has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. 
So Paul is presenting this, and he's being very clear with it. In fact, if you go back to, because there's an interesting point that we need to understand, and we need to see this. In verse 11, Paul says this, if we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest? I want to point this out just for a second, because I think we need to clarify this for a moment for all of us that might struggle with this at times. It's, it's important that Paul uses the word if, because let's just all be clear. We have all probably seen and experienced the fact that there are many people, and I'm not going to deny it, there are many people in our world, in the history of the church, that have used Christianity, that has used faith, that, has, that have used positions of ministry for greedy intentions. Right? There are those people that have used a quote-unquote calling from God to use them for very greedy purposes. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, right? But we also have to protect ourselves on the flip side of this because sometimes the enemy likes to enter into the church. Now, when I say the things I'm about to say, I am in no way reflecting Blessed Hope Community Church. The reality is, is this church has, is very is very, very generous in how it takes care of those of us in ministry. So please understand that. But I have not always been in churches that are generous, and I've seen some of the negativity when it comes to supporting pastors. And I just want to address this just for a moment. This is not the main point, but I don't want to skip over it because what Paul is saying here is church, hear me, church, the church has a responsibility to care for the people that God has called to to sow spiritual seeds into you. That, that is the church's responsibility. And, and again, it's, it's, I love, you know, because it's like this self-seeking kind of mentality, but, but understand this. Um, I've been in churches where uh, I actually, I remember being in a church that uh, <laughs> the, the original parsonage um, was, it, it had uh, a situation where the pastor couldn't live there. It was unhealthy for them to live there. It was an old, old, old parsonage, so they had to move out. And the church was able to find this gorgeous, just gorgeous, um, four bedroom, four bedroom, yeah, four bedroom ranch house, just a gorgeous house. Um, and, and they and they bought it, and for this pastor to move into. And eventually, this is the the parsonage that Amy and I got to live in. Um, but I remember that there were people that left the church. Um, over buying this house. And, and here was why. One person made this statement. I refuse to attend a church where the pastor gets to live in a better house than I do. I mean, that was the mentality. The, the mentality was, you're a pastor. You should live dirt poor. You know, like, why should, like, I pay you. Why should you have better than me? Was the mentality. And so I only bring this up, again, not to say anything against us, but Satan is good. He likes to sow division. That's why Paul's saying, like, don't I have the right to eat and drink? Like, don't I have the right to, you know? But, but sometimes there's been situations in churches where there's this very controlling attitude when it comes to money. And, and I want to stress this just for a moment before we move on, because I think it's important. Um, and, and it's something I shared with first service, and I, I think it's just important for all of us to hear. Um, no pastor, right? Just, and I'm not saying anybody thinks this. I'm just saying it so it's out there in case this ever, you know, maybe pops into somebody's head or there's a struggle with this. Um, no pastor 
is an employee of the church. I'm not, a, I'm not an employee of the church because this ain't my job. Being a pastor is a calling. It's not a, it's not a job, right? Um, see, when we fall into this employee mentality, employee mentality is, well, we're your boss, right? And, and, I, and I want you to hear me on this because this is not being say, saying as argumentative. I just, it just needs to be said so we all understand this. Um, the church is not my boss, right? The church is not Pastor Matt's boss, right? Yes, we answer to the church, and we all answer to one another. We submit to one another. We lead. Don't get me wrong with that, but here's the deal. I only have one boss, and my boss is physically not on this planet. He's seated above in heaven, and he's who I answer to, ultimately, See, as soon as we fall into this employee, employer, this is your job mentality, we fall into a trap where Satan can come in there and try to control and try to manipulate, okay? And and so I just want to say that for clarity's sake, that that's not the relationship that a pastor has with the church. A pastor is not an employee of the church, and they never should be, and you should never want them to be. Because as soon as the pastor becomes an employee of the church, then Satan can have dominion to start trying to cause and control between the church and the pastor, or pastors, or those in ministry. So just understand that. I just want to clarify that for a moment so we all understand that. So again, Paul is saying this, and he's doing all this, but here's the thing we need to understand. Paul is not bringing up finances, and I'm not talking about it right now because I'm trying to get a raise. Okay, that's not the intention. Paul's not doing that too. He even says that. He's like, listen, I'm not saying this because I'm trying to get you to pay me more. We're going to look at that here in a second. Paul is not trying to guilt them into sending him a special offering. Paul is not demanding a paycheck. That is not what Paul is doing. Paul is using this as an example so that he can make the point that we're going to start looking at now. Okay, so just understand that. I want us all to be on the same page. Take what we just got to talking about, use it as our, as our foundation to understand this next point. It's not about finances. It's about Paul's right, right? He's laying down a right that he has. Paul says, I have the right to expect to be supported by you in my ministry. It has nothing to do with money. It has to do with him showing them his willingness to forfeit his right, okay? He's declaring a much important truth. So let's look at verse 12, and then we'll jump down to 15 because he says it twice. Verse 12, Paul says, If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we do not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder, hinder the gospel of Christ. And then he goes down to verse 15. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make use of my right in preaching it. So so here's what basically Paul's saying. He's like, listen, I have this right. He's established the right. But he's like, I have made the choice. I have made the choice not to demand 
the fulfillment of my right. He's saying, I have forfeited my right for the sake of the gospel. Now, why is that important? Because this is where we're going to get into like really the, the meat of this. I believe Paul, in this moment, is declaring that he is living out the greatest freedom that he has in Jesus Christ. Right? Pastor Matt talked about freedom and liberty last week. And I believe Paul, right here, is declaring that he is living out his greatest freedom that he has in Jesus Christ. And it is simply this. Paul has the freedom. And so do you and I. We have the freedom to willingly give up our rights for the glory of God and for the advancement of the gospel in the exact same way that Jesus did. What Paul's doing is he's actually following the lead and the example of Jesus Christ himself. And Paul's saying, listen, I am willing, I am willing to forfeit my right because I'm not going to put anything that's going to hinder the gospel. That's what Paul's saying. That's my, that's my free will. I have the freedom to choose to do that. And no one's going to take that from, from me, is what Paul's saying. No one's going to steal that freedom from me. That I have the ability to forfeit my own right for the sake of the gospel. Now, realize I said that this is actually following the lead of Jesus. Paul is not doing something super spiritual here that he made up on his own. Paul is actually following the example given to us by Jesus himself. Let's kind of look at this for a second. That is not what I want, Philip. I could, but I'm not. Philippians. Notice what Paul says. We've probably, if you study the Bible, you've heard this before, but listen to what Paul says. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Just stop for a second right there. What Paul is saying is Jesus had the right to expect us to treat him like God when he came here. Like when Jesus was born, he had the right to expect us to treat him and worship him for who he was. That was his right, because he is God. But Paul is saying that Jesus, though he was God, and it was his right to be worshiped, did not hold on to his right, but instead he gave up his divine privileges. He gave up his right to be worshiped and revered and obeyed. He gave up his right. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. See, think about this for a moment. Jesus had the right to demand to be worshipped, but he willingly set that right aside, and instead he was mocked. Jesus had the right to be revered because he is God Almighty. Instead, he laid that right aside so he could be reviled. Jesus had the right to be worshipped and adored and bowed down to. And instead, he laid down that right and took up instead a life of hardship and difficulty that led to the point of being beaten and abused and spit on and nailed to the cross. 
Jesus gives us the ultimate example of taking his rights and laying them aside for the sake of someone else. And that someone else is you and me. I want that to sink in for a moment. That Jesus laid aside his right for you. And you and I would not be here today, and you and I would not have the hope of eternal life. You and I would not have anything that we have if Jesus was not willing to lay aside his right for the sake of us. And the Bible tells us that we must have the same attitude that Christ had. Jesus actually says this, and we know this, but Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. But can we pause for a moment and just challenge ourselves with this? How often have we heard this? And we might even say it is true. But can I ask, what one of our rights does that truth fall short at? Yeah, Lord, I'll, def- I'll, I'll deny myself until it gets to this one. And I'm not willing to lay down that right for the sake of following you or for the sake of someone else. Paul says to the church in Corinth, but this is in the second letter, he says, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus died for us no longer to live for ourselves, but to live for him. Can I tell you something just real quick? And this is hard for me to swallow sometimes, but the only way that I can live for Jesus is if I'm willing to lay everything down when Jesus asks me to. And sometimes that's going to include my rights. Maybe not all the time, but there will come a time where God says, listen, I need to use you. And to use you, you need to be willing to lay this down. This is what we're called to, and this is what Paul is talking about. And Paul is saying this because, listen, I'm doing this because I don't want anything to hinder the gospel. What Paul is ultimately saying, I think, is this. He's like, listen, this is my right. He's laying down this right to him, to the church. He's like, listen, I could have done this. Paul's like, I could have sat here and wrote you letters. I could have come and demanded money. I could have done all these things. He's like, I could have used my time and my energy to declare. Listen, I could declare my right. I can defend my right. I can demand my right. Paul's like, I could have spent all my time and energy doing that. I could have called you every single day. Where's my paycheck? Where's my paycheck? Where's, I mean, I could have... I have the right to do that. But Paul's like, listen, I am not going to waste my time and energy doing that because if I waste my time and energy focusing on my right, I'm just taking time and energy away from what's most important. And what's most important is me living, preaching, and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, and no one's going to take this from me because the gospel's more important than my right. And again, it's not that the right is bad. Please understand that. No right is wrong. It's not a bad thing. But the question Paul's challenges with is what's more important to us? Our right or the gospel of Jesus Christ? Our right or seeing others come to know Jesus? And that's the next thing he addresses. Let's go to verse 19. Verse 19, Paul goes on and he says, Though I am free and belong to no man... I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew. To to the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those who are under the law. 
To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those who not, those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. Um, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. So here's the thing. We might ask ourselves, why would anybody want to give up their rights? Why would anybody even be tempted to potentially at some point in time forfeit their rights? Any right? And Paul is answering the question. Paul says this. I am willing to give up any of my rights for the one purpose of this. To win as many as possible. Paul's like, I am willing to forfeit my rights to win as many as possible. What Paul is telling us and he's challenging us with, and here's the challenge, hear me. Don't sit here and say, well, that was good for Paul. It's not, we're following the lead of Jesus. Paul was following the lead of Jesus. This is true for all of us, not just Paul because we've elevated him to be the super saint. It's true for all of us. Paul's overriding purpose in life was this, to win as many people for Jesus as possible. And not allow anything to get in the way of that. Because he desperately wanted to bring glory to God. And he desperately wanted people to see, he wanted to see people come to know Jesus. Hear what he said again, verse 22. I have become all things to all men, so that by all means possible, I might save some. What Paul is saying is this. I will do anything short of sin to win people to Jesus. I will do anything short of sin to win people to Jesus. Now, what does that mean for us? Here's the thing, and this is where it's going to get a little challenging for a moment. Um, hopefully it's been challenging up to now, but this is where it's been challenging to me this week, um, actually the last few weeks, and it's going to be challenging to all of us. Um, we live in a time where I think this has been like this at other times in human history, but this is the context we live in. We all understand this. Our nation is unbelievably divided. People are unbelievably divided. There are opinions that are dividing people like crazy, right? Like crazy. Christian, hear me for a moment. This is to me just as much as you. Hear me for a moment. It is not our job to figure out ways to strengthen the divides that are already happening in this world. It is our job to figure out ways to cross over the barriers and the divides in order to try to reach as many people as possible. The problem is, we live in a, in a, in a time, hear me, I'm talking to myself just my, as much as I am in other people. We live in a time where some of us are so frustrated and angry, and hear me on this, I think even fearful because we see things that are happening and we have become so judgmental and angry and hate-filled towards those that think differently than us, especially when it comes to political things, that we have lost the true calling of your life and that is to bring Jesus into their lives. Paul's like, listen, I don't have to agree with these people. Paul's like, I don't even have to, like, I don't even, I don't even have to, like, come to understand and accept what they think or what they believe. But he's like, listen, I'm not going to let things divide me from the opportunity to share Jesus with them. So let me give you an example. So when I say these things, please understand, I love our country. I love our rights. I want to keep them as long as I can. I'm not opposed to them whatsoever. But here, let's just start with number one. We have the right to freedom of speech, right? 
I love the freedom of speech. I love that right. That's a great right. Don't get me wrong. Not opposed to it whatsoever. But here's the deal. As a Christian and a person that wants to win people for Jesus, there are some things that I don't have to say. We can stay quiet, you know. Because my goal should not be to put the person on the other side of the aisle in their place. My goal, if I truly believe they don't know Jesus, is to figure out a way to get closer to them so I can share Jesus. Not so I can put them in their place so I can tell them all the reasons they're wrong. See, see, we feel like we're doing God's work with this. But we're not. Paul's telling us that God's heart is to win people for Jesus. Not for us to pat ourselves on the back because I got to tell people what I think. I hope you get what I'm saying. I, I, the job that I have, uh, you know, um, my, my full-time job that I do, I work with a lot of people that have the different, uh, a very different political view than I do. Very different political view than I do. And week after week and month after month, I would set and I would hear things being said and I would hear ideas and things they want to do. And everything in me was just like, I did not agree with so much stuff. And I would bite my tongue day after day after day and just have frustrations at times because I so bad wanted to say things where I was like, but so many times God would say, be quiet because it's not about you winning a political argument. I want you to be in the position that when they're ready to hear about my son, they will trust you enough to listen to you, to tell them about my son. And I have friendships with some people that we don't agree with hardly anything. But I feel like if it ever came to the point where I could look at them and be like, you know, I care about you and I love you and I want to tell you about this, they would listen. See, sometimes it's appropriate to set your right to the side because what's more important is the salvation of another. I'm going to give you an example of what Paul's saying here about becoming all things to all people. Just two examples, just real quick. When I was in Bible school, I met a man that was in his mid-50s. And when I met him, uh, full-on biker dude, right? Long hair, long beard. He was going to be a pastor. You know, he was going to be ordained. Uh, you know, tattoos all over. Just looked like he just got off a heart. He did just get off a of Harley. Um, anyways, I was talking to him, and he was telling me about his ministry, and he said, you know, when I was in my 30s, God impressed upon me to go reach people in the biker community. That was the, the people he said, I want to use you to reach these people for my son. And I said, really, were you in that life before, you know, like that was part of your life? He's like, no. And he showed me a picture of him in his 30s. And in his 30s, we're talking like suit, straight cut hair, like nothing looking like a biker. And, and I'm like, really, dude, you kind of shift here a little bit. What happened? He's like, well, here's the deal. I was, I was passionate about going and reaching these people. He's like, David, when I walked into a biker bar dressed like this, it didn't go very well. Right? Because they didn't trust this. They didn't trust the suit. They didn't trust the clean-cut hair. I wasn't one of them. I wasn't part of them. I was the outsider. He's like, God showed me that if I was going to reach them, I had to become them. David, I don't take part in their lifestyle. I don't take part in the sinfulness of their ways. I don't take part in that. But he's like, I became all things to all men in order to reach some. Do you like it? No, not really. I don't really like long hair. I don't like having a beard down to here. You know, leather's hot. But I do it because I forfeit my right to reach others for Jesus. Here's a second example. 
When I was in Missouri, there was a time in the town we were in where they were talking about opening up a strip club when we were down there. And I remember the church's reaction, not just my church, but the church is, like meeting with other pastors. Up, There was this very angry reason. And I get it. There was fear and like, what's that going to do to our community and the, and the sinfulness of that? And there was, but it just seemed to be driven by a lot of anger and hatred. By the grace of God and by prayer, here's the thing, that, that established it never opened, but it sent me on this, I started researching different people that ministered to people in that context, those, you know, strip clubs and people in, those, in that context. And I, and I came across, and there's several of these, but I came across one ministry that there was a group of women in a church that they had a lot of strip clubs in, the, in their town, and they felt led by God to go minister to people in that lifestyle. So here's what they did. They didn't go buy poster board and write on there, strippers go to hell or anything like that. They didn't pick it. They didn't do none of that. What they did was they called the strip clubs and they said, hey, we want to come, like, just love on you guys. Would you mind if we came into your establishment once a week and we brought a meal before you open and provide it for your employees? And do you mind that after we serve the meal, can we spend some time with the ladies and can we, you know, do their hair, if, you know, their makeup? Can we do that? Can we spend some time with them? And most of the places were kind of like, yeah, I mean, why not? We don't care. So what they started to do was they would make a home-cooked meal once a week. They would go in to this establishment. They wouldn't just drop the food off and say, God bless and see you later. They would take the food and they would set it down and they would have a meal with the strippers. And then after it was over, they would spend two and a half, three hours, and they would spend time back in the back doing their hair, doing, doing makeup for them, doing nails, and talking to them. Now, here's the thing. A lot of Christians, don't be wrong, I get it, because it's weird. A lot of Christians responded to this because their testimony was like, a lot of Christians were like, how dare you? How dare you go in and take part in that? How dare you do something like that in that establishment? How dare you show love like that? Let me, let me read a testimony. This is actually a testimony from one of the women that they uh, ministered to. Three years ago, these women came into the club where I danced. At first, I was reluctant to get to know them. I thought they were only there to push religion. As I've never been a religious person, at that point in my life, I had never even opened a Bible. I didn't know God at all. As months went by, they continued to come and give gifts, love, support, and prayer for all of us. That's when I knew it wasn't just about religion. One year ago, I quit dancing in the club. I'm a member of the church now, and I've decided to follow Jesus. I was just baptized. I'm finally free and finding my purpose with Jesus. This is the most happy and fulfilled I've ever been in my life. I thank God these women for, I thank God for these women who walked into my life and joined me on this journey. Notice the timeline. Three years ago, they walked in. One year ago, she came to know Jesus. For two years, they loved on this woman in the context of her life. They became what she needed to share Jesus. But they had to lay down their right of saying, I ain't stepping into a place like that. I ain't loving on people like that. I ain't doing stuff like that. See, our responsibility, church, is to tear down the walls that divide us in order to bring Jesus to as many people as possible. But the sad truth is we have been fooled into actually building the walls that divide us instead of tearing them down. And I'm going to say it again. One of the number one ways we're doing it is with our political ideas. It's not opposed to you having your political bent. or pe- That's not the point. But every time... Every time we interact with people, we need to ask ourselves, is this going to help me bring Jesus into this person's life? If it's not, then maybe we don't need to stand upon our right to speak. Because I want to ask this question just for a moment. 
What right do any of you have in your life? And I legitimately, if you can come to me and answer this, great. I'm just, I can't answer it in, in, in the affirmative. What right do you have in your life that's more important than the salvation of somebody else? What right do we have in our lives that if God said, I need you to lay this down in order for that person's eternal destiny to change, do we have the ability to say, no, that one's too big. That one's more important than that person. My time went faster, but I want want to approach this and then I, I just... I'll kind of skip over the last part because I think this is important. Church, I I get it. A lot of people are scared on where we see things heading in our world and in our country, and we feel like our rights are being taken away from us. And I get that. And I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't be concerned, and I'm trying to say we don't pray about it. But I want to say something that I hope you hear with all honesty and you understand what I'm coming from with this. Because while I, hear, hear me, I think our country is the greatest country. I love our country. I love the freedoms we have. I love all of that. But if you have been fooled into thinking that you are going to keep your rights up until the point Jesus returns, you've been fooled. And I'm not trying to say like, hey, we need to be like, they're going to leave tomorrow. Listen, Jesus said, it's going to get worse before I come. See, what I mean by that is we can't out of one side of our mouth say, come Lord Jesus, and on the other side not realize that persecution's coming with it. See, I think we've been duped into thinking that God is so enamored with America that he's just like, I'm just going to leave them the way they are until I come back. And, and I want to challenge another thought just real quick and hear me on this. And again, I'm kind of not going to go over some other stuff because, but we have been fooled also into thinking that our rights, don't get it, they're good. There's nothing wrong with them. But we think that America is the perfect environment for the gospel to flourish. And that we feel like if our rights are taken away from us and persecution comes, that the gospel is actually going to stop. Can I challenge that thought? If you look back over all of the history of the church, do you know when the gospel spread the most? Under persecution. Do you know why? Because it's easy to stand up for Jesus when you can do it from a place of comfort and safety. But do you know how the watching world will look at us as Christians when you have to face the consequences of your faith, and you do it anyways. I get it. I don't want to lose my freedom of speech. But if that ever happened, that doesn't change my calling and responsibility to speak out and tell people about Jesus. I love that we have the right to gather together and worship and be the church. But do you know what? If that right is ever taken from us, it doesn't change our responsibility to do it. So just realize that. I'm not going to read it, but here's the last point. Paul ends this where he talks about and he compares it to being an athlete. Here's the thing. Paul says, I'm living my life straining for the prize. I just want to end with showing us what this is the prize. 
The prize is not our rights. The prize is not a comfortable life. The prize is not any of those things that the world offers us. Paul says flat out, this is the prize. I want to know Christ, and I want to experience the fullness of who he is. Paul's like, that's the prize. And if I have to forfeit my right for that prize, I'm going to do it every single day. That's what Paul's saying. I will forfeit whatever I have to forfeit for that right there. So here's the thing. As we think about this as an athlete, hear me, hear me on this. Anybody that's an athlete or ever been an athlete or even understands athletes and all that stuff, there is nothing wrong with your rights. And as an athlete, there's a lot of good stuff in this life. But anybody that's ever trained for anything, you understand. Sometimes you have to give up the good to reach the best. doesn't mean the good is bad. It doesn't mean the good is wrong. It just means, you know what? I'm striving for something better. And sometimes I have to give up the good because I'm striving for the best. And that's what Paul's saying there. Paul's saying, listen, I will not let anything get in the way of me reaching for that prize. And that includes my rights. I will give up my rights so others know Jesus and so that I attain the prize. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you again for being able to, to gather this morning. Again, it's a, it's a tough subject, Lord. And again, I am so thankful for, for the, the context of life that you have allowed us to live in. Lord, I am not, I'm never going to say that I don't appreciate the blessing of the rights that we do have. They are wonderful and they are good. But again, Lord, we have to understand there is something more important than that. And that is you. That is your gospel. That is the kingdom. Lord, this reality that we live in right now, while I am thankful for it, this is not the reality you have called me to live in for all of eternity. This is temporary. Lord, so I pray that as we we live in this right now, as we have these rights, if we have the right to speak what we want, we have the right to worship, we have the right to tell people about you, even if we feel like those are under attack, Lord, let your church utilize these rights while we have them the way we do right now. Let us not miss an opportunity to share Jesus, to love on and minister any way we can. And let us know that no matter what happens in this world, in this life, you're still in control. You're so much bigger than all of this. Lord, let us have the same heart as, as, as Paul. It's not about us. It's not about what we think we deserve. It's about you. And we understand, Lord, that we're going to sacrifice in this life and we're going to suffer in this life and we're going to have discomfort in this life because we're not living for this life. We're living for eternity. Lord, we're going we're gonna to trade maybe a life of di- difficulty here because we're going to get an eternity of rejoicing and blessing and joy and comfort and, and all of these things that you're going to give to us. Lord, that's not a bad trade-off whatsoever. A temporary blink of an eye compared to forever. Lord, we give you praise. Use us for your glory and your precious name we pray. Amen.